Um, by the way, did we did we announce the Samaritan's Purse stuff? Okay, okay. With that, just be ready. Get ready for the Samaritan's Purse stuff. Don Vitito, see the Vitito's after church today if you want to get involved. Um, a lot of really good good stuff going on with that. Okay, so Matthew chapter twenty four. Now, a few things I want to say. Okay. And these are things I think really need to be said. Uh, number one, if America goes down, that does not automatically mean the end times have come. Two sides to this coin. If America goes down, it doesn't mean the end times have come necessarily. Why do I say that? Because thousands of nations... And civilizations have risen and fallen, and just because it looked like the end of the world for them didn't mean it was the end of the world for everybody else. Okay? Here's the other side of that coin, though. America is the last of the, the strongest and freest nations on earth. There's a lot of nations with a little semblance of freedom, but that's only because they're afraid what the American government might do to them if they crack down on their people. And um, so it's like uh, Dietrich von Hildebrand, the Roman Catholic philosopher who opposed Hitler. When the Nazis came to power, he fled Germany. When they took over, he fled to Austria. When they took over Austria, he fled somewhere else in Europe. When they took over Europe, he fled to America. So when I read his autobiography, what I wrote down was, when America falls, there's no place to flee. So if America falls, you, you drop to your knees. So what I'm saying is um, the final roadblock to global tyranny, this is weird as a pastor to have to say this, I'm not a man of violence, okay? And I don't want violence. But I have to admit, when the people cannot protect themselves from the government, the governments get violent. And... Um, and so the final roadblock to global, global tyranny is an armed American middle class. And so what I'm saying is, if America collapses, okay, we move to global tyranny. Now, how long can you have global tyranny before the Antichrist takes his rule? I don't know, okay? But I am saying that America is a lot different than other civilizations that have come and gone just because of um, the fear that our government instills in the hearts of wannabe tyrants all over the globe, okay? And um, believe me, right now, our president is getting Europe to back down and is getting uh, tyrants all over the North Korea. He's got his foot on the neck of Iran. Um, China's, you can see China's not cooperating, um, China's fighting back, the virus and stuff. They could, have, they could have blocked travel. They blocked travel out of Wuhan to all other parts of China, but not to Europe and the United States. So they were sending infected humans like missiles all over the globe. Okay? And, um, but whatever the case, there is a big positioning going on for um, who's going to head the New World Order and things of that sort. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad we have a president right now that cares about keeping America sovereign and independent from other nations. 
Um, but just keep, keep that in mind. Um, uh, so in other words, uh, every bit of American news is not necessarily end-time prophecy news, though there's a good chance there's a closer correlation than with, uh, it would be with many, many other nations, of course, with the exception of, of Israel. Uh, second thing I want to mention, humility is needed when you study the end times. Uh, it just appalls me. I've been there. It appalls me at the level of arrogance where we can come up with, regardless of what per, some person's view on the end times is, we can come up with, you know, charts for every, we know exactly when everything is going to occur. Okay? Uh, God didn't make the end time prophecies that obvious so we do not have all the answers. We don't have all the specifics. I think the seven thunders of the book of Revelation, I, whenever I teach on the end times to my students here, I tell them I'll buy them a brand new car if they could tell me what the seven thunders are. And, um, and they get all excited and they look it up in the Bible. And, and, and But God tells John, he shows them the seven thunders and he tells them not to tell anybody. So we don't know what they are. But I think that was God's way of saying, look, don't think you got this whole thing figured out. I'm just telling you some of the stuff. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff. Don't act like you, you got all the answers, okay? And um, now the book of Daniel does seem to say that in the last days, people will get insight that they hadn't had earlier. So there might be some prophecies that don't seem to make much sense. All of a sudden start making sense like an army of 200 million warriors, you know, there wasn't even 200 million people on the planet Earth back then, I don't think. Um, and I could be, could be wrong, it could have been more, but how do you get an army that big? Well, nowadays you can from the, the kings of the East. Um, so humility is needed. We don't have all the answers. Uh, I also think we need to, uh, so, so we always need to separate Scripture from speculation. Scripture from speculation. Probably, I, I don't know, um, I, I, you love God's words, so I don't think you're going to be upset, but it might be the most disappointing thing of this series of sermons. This is the fourth sermon that we're giving on the end times. And um, we talked about, we argue that Jesus will literally reign on earth, premillennialism. Uh, Pat, pre, Pastor Pat preached the, the pre-trib view. I preached the post-trib view. I think we're really going to go through this uh, uh, tribulation period. Um, and, um, and so now we're going to be looking at an overview of the tribulation, but m possibly one of the most disappointed things will be when I say, okay, here's some different views, and this is my view, but I'm not sure. Okay? Uh, but I think that's the way we ought to handle the Word of God, especially in non-essential, though very important, but non-essential issues. Don't forget, with the first coming of Christ, um, an awful lot of the prophecies or clues of Christ's first coming were of the type that many times the Jews didn't even know it was a clue or a prophecy until after Jesus fulfilled it. Okay? You know, where the psalmist is saying that uh, none of my bones will be broken. And and God won't allow his Holy One's body to see decay. It was only after Jesus rose from the dead that Peter could say, well, David couldn't be talking about himself. We could have visited his tomb right now. We could look at his bones. 
but um, but then he says, so if he, if he wasn't talking about himself, then who would the king of Israel be talking about? He must have been talking about Messiah. And he was almost encouraging them, implying, go visit Jesus' tomb. The bones aren't there. And, um, and um, so God did not allow his Holy One to see decay. So keep in mind, I think as the stuff comes down, it's going to become more and more clear to us um, what's coming down. And that leads to my next point, that prophecies, the end-time prophecies, God made them so vague that every generation of Christians would think that Jesus could possibly return in their lifetime. So do I think that Jesus is going to return in my lifetime? Yes, I do. But that's because God's made it so vague. Okay? Now, God makes it so specific that the final generation will know for sure. What is that point where Jesus says, okay, at that point, you head for the hills. And I think it was, a, it was a warning both to 70 A.D., the destruction of the temple, but also for the end-time prophecies um, where Jesus is basically saying when the Antichrist is in the temple and the image of the Antichrist in the temple, don't even go and get your stuff out of your house. Okay? So that's telling Phil Fernandez, forget the U-Haul with all your books in it. Just, just get out of there. Okay? And... Um, and um, now for me, that's a little bit late in the game. That's three and a half years before Jesus returns. Mark of the Beast is going to be instituted. So they start rebuilding the, the temple, man. And I'm thinking seriously, uh, you know, about, okay, what's, what's my contingency plan? So the end time prophecies are so vague, every generation of Christians would think Jesus could return in our lifetime. And this would encourage us to live lives of godliness and obedience to the Lord, being ready for when our Lord returns, yet they're so specific the final generation will know. And um, um, like, for instance, you know, when we talk about the Antichrist, you know, here's where, again, that humility is needed. Some thought it was going to be Hitler or Mussolini. Some thought it was Muhammad. The Protestants believed it was the Roman Catholic papacy, so whoever the Pope was, he was the Antichrist for that time. Um, some believe, uh, what, uh, more recent times, Henry Kissinger. There's some who've argued it was George W. Bush. There was some who argued that it was Bill Clinton. Some who argued it was Barack Obama. Some people are putting Bill Gates on the list. And, and but by the way, there are things each one of these guys has got stuff where you scratch your head and say, ooh, that's not good, okay? Um, but at the same time, um, uh, we need to really, really separate speculation um, from what the Bible clearly says, okay? And, um, um, okay, so let's look at Matthew 24, and, and talk about an overview of the tribulation period. Starting at verse 1, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. So it's kind of like, you know, they're, 
These are patriotic Jewish guys, and they're proud of that temple. I mean, it's just like, man, the pagan Gentile Romans are ruling over us, but at least we got our temple. Look how beautiful Herod's temple is, okay? And so Jesus realized, you know, yeah, it is a beautiful temple, but you guys, your focus is all off. It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, guys, you trust in that temple or this temple? Jesus is saying, I'm the real temple. That's why when he started his ministry, tear down his temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And they thought he was talking about Herod's temple, but he was talking about his resurrection. Jesus is the real temple of the living God. Paul could say of him um, in Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So the temple is just a type of him. So he wants to shift their focus off the temple and onto him. By the way, what scares me is what's the temple right now? Right now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a scary thing. You know, did I represent Jesus well the last time I talked to a believer or a non-believer? Or was I like the money changers in the court of the Gentiles? Or Jesus, you know, Jesus is still in the business of overthrowing, overturning tables. So they say, look, Jesus, look at this. Look at the beautiful temple we got. Verse 2, and Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, I think what Jesus is talking about there is the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Okay? And uh, when I visit Jerusalem, you know, I, I go to the Western Wall. Some call it the Wailing Wall. And, uh, and they've got, you know, stones, you know, I don't know, rectangular stones like maybe eight feet high and and 12 to 14 feet long or whatever at that bottom that go all the way back to the time of Christ. And that's only the bottom row or two. And then built upon that have been built on it over the centuries. Okay? Um, but what you have to understand, that's just like the outer wall of the temple grounds. That's not part of the temple. They are now excavating the temple. And so when your guides point out um, the temple, you see there, it, there is literally not one stone left on another. You won't find a stone on top of another one. They've all been leveled, and that's what they're excavating. And the guides will almost always bring up Jesus' quote when they point out to you that Jesus of Nazareth got it right. Okay? And so, so they're focusing on the temple there. You know, it's like us. We will, wouldn't we love a church building? Wouldn't it be nice to meet in a church building instead of a, an old, beat-up, 1950s basketball gym that's not even close to regulation? A place that actually is insulated well, that looks nice? Wouldn't it be nice to have our own building? Well, if that's God's will, God will provide it, okay? At the same time, no, it's not the building you should be in love with. It's the one you worship, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, I know one church in the area that was built in the early 1900s, then it was renovated in the 1940s, and people go to that church because their grandparents and great-grandparents, they grew up in the church, 
and their grandparents built it, and they're still preaching the gospel, but the guys who preach the gospel there have to be real careful what they say because some of the people in the congregation, they're kind of, nobody's sure if they're even saved, but it's just like this is the church, the building I grew up in. And my grandfather built this, this, this building, so I'm going to stay here. Jesus is like saying, look, you want to focus on a temporary temple? Let me tell you guys, it's coming down. It's coming down. For us Americans, we're not focused on some, some big temple, maybe some churches on their big building or whatever, but and that's between them and the Lord. But I think for America, just our prosperity. And you know, Jesus is telling us, everything you got is coming down someday. Everything you got can go away. You can't take it with you. And so we got to focus on heavenly rewards, not on earthly rewards. And so Jesus said, look, guys, this is all coming down. He's talking about the temple being destroyed in 70 AD. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so you just go to the east a little bit outside of, uh, or actually, this is, would that be the west? Because they enter through the eastern gate. East, no, it would be on the eastern side, I believe. Uh, you can check, check me out on it. But whatever the case, my favorite place in Jerusalem, you can stand there on the Mount of Olives and see the eastern gate where Jesus is going to, he's going to land, he's going to return. He ascended from the Mount of Olives, he's going to return on the Mount of Olives, then he's going to enter to the eastern gate and win the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? And, um, um, so now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, and it's not, it's just a short walk from, from the temple to the Mount of Olives, and the Garden of Gethsemane is over there too. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, I don't know if they, I don't think they realized it, but they were asking two different questions rolled up into one. Okay? When's the temple going to be destroyed? 70 AD kind of question. Okay? And then you're coming at the end of the age, which is not 70 AD. Now, you can compare this with like chapter, other chapters in the New Testament, like Luke chapter 21, where it seems to be the same discussion, the same basic discussion, <clears throat> and there's other details there. So I don't know if Jesus broke down, okay, this is before 70 AD, this is before my second coming, and they just kind of paraphrased it and kind of rolled it all up into one, but God inspired them to record it this way, okay? Um, it's God's word without error. Uh, but they're asking two questions, and they think they're asking one. So I think at the very least, Jesus, in the brilliant fashion, you know, as God become a man, he is able to answer both questions with one message. He's going to tell them things to prepare them for the 70 AD destruction. At the same time, these things are going to be information that all Christians throughout all generations could be looking for to prepare them for the return of Christ. And so they ask him, what will, what will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, saying, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. 
and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So these are things leading up to the end, but the end is not there yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Literally in the Greek, the word means birth pains. And birth, the birth pains of a, of a mom, the increase in frequency and in intensity as you get closer to the birth of the baby. So as you get closer to the return of Christ, you should get more intense and more frequent. Verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. That's something we need to watch very quickly. I was looking at doing a little bit of research at Voice of the Martyrs and, and um, Vision Beyond Borders or something like that, where they monitor the persecution of Christians. But in, I think, 52 countries right now, Christianity is totally outlawed, period. Okay? Um, there are other countries where it's not technically outlawed, but you're allowed to have your Christian faith, but you're not allowed to share it with somebody else. Okay, so you get a chunk of nations like that. So I don't know what the number is, but basically you get outside of America and Europe, you know, a few exceptions like Australia and New Zealand. Uh, you get out of the West, and it's either a Marxist regime that's slaughtering Christians or an Islamic regime that's slaughtering Christians. But that's one thing to look for. When all nations, when we're hated on every nation on the planet Earth, the governments of every nation on the planet Earth, then you know uh, that the end uh, will come. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10, And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. That offended... Um, other translations, New American Standard, was many will fall away, a falling away of the faith. The Apostle Paul talked about this, the great apostasy. There's going to be a false church, you know, in the last days. And, uh, you know, we'll talk more about that in future messages and a little bit more today as well. Uh, then many false prophets. You know, the, the false Christ is a guy who claims to be Jewish Messiah, now we've kind of stretched the definition of Christ or Messiah to any kind of global savior and all. Um, but, uh, but a prophet is someone who claims to proclaim, a prophet proclaims God's truth to the people. So a false prophet claims to be proclaiming God's truth, but he's actually teaching falsehoods and, uh, in fact, probably doctrines of demons. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now is that be enduring to the end of the tribulation and you'll be rescued by Jesus at his return? Physical redemption? Or is it talking about the true believers are going to endure to the end and, um, and will be saved? Um, but true believers will persevere. Our faith is going to be tested if we do go through the tribulation period. Uh, I think uh, most pre-tribbers would agree. I'm post-trib, but most pre-tribbers would agree. 
even if we do get raptured before the tribulation, we're probably going to face a significant amount of suffering before that. So, you know, our faith is going to be tested. And then verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So two things that should really stick out here. One is, before Jesus comes back, Christians have to be hated in all nations. And number two, but the gospel has to be preached to all nations. Now, technically, let me say this. Technically, what we call nations today, the gospel has already been preached to all nations, to all official nations. But that's not what the word meant back then. The word meant kind of like people groups, language groups. Okay? So there are... There are you know, there's places like Australia where there are tribal peoples that, you know, hundreds of different tribes and they each have their own different languages. New Tribes Mission is reaching out to them. Uh, we're also getting the gospel in their language and providing it for them so that they can hear it, um, hear the gospel preached. Uh, the translation is all with, with computer technology um, uh, the, we are translating the Bible into so many different languages right now and at least getting them the gospel message first. We like to take the Jesus film and then dub in from the people, learn their language, and dub it in from the people's language so that we can get, because the, the, the Jesus film is the gospel of Luke, almost word for word. And so it gets that gospel out to as many people as possible. They're showing anywhere from 20 to 40% of uh, foreign peoples in third world countries who watch it make a confession of faith in Christ. And then it's like, okay, now we got 5,000 new believers. How do we disciple them? Okay? And, um, but the gospel's got to be preached to all nations. Christians have to be hated on, on all nations. And then in Zechariah 14, a passage we'll look at a few weeks from now, all nations are going to invade Israel. So that would tell me that the Jewish nation is going to be hated by all nations on earth. In fact, I think it's going to be part of the uh, Antichrist global peace plan when he turns on the Jews is that if we could just wipe the Jews off the face of the earth, then we can come together and have peace. But we're going to see, there's going to be, just like there's infighting right now. Okay, I, I can't remember if it was when the Soviet Union invaded Crimea or, or the Ukraine, uh, the Russia. That was basically their message to the globalists, the New World Order, that we're getting sick and tired of being treated like the ugly stepsister. We're not on board with your New World Order plan. We want to move to, we want to start doing what, what Putin, the former KGB agent, uh, what Putin thinks is best for Russia. We're not going to do what we think is, is best for the New World Order, Okay. And um, that's why there's a little bit of a kinship between President Trump and him. They don't, Trump doesn't like him, but he likes that he's not on board with this European UN-based move towards a new world order. Um, this explains why many of our politicians today will side with communist China 
rather than our president who wants to put America first and wants to defend American sovereignty. Okay? Uh, it's not that they like China. It's just China's still on board with the European model for global government. And um, now China's getting a little rough, so it might push some of the European countries a little bit on our side. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But we're seeing things shuffle around, but eventually part of that global one-world peace plan is going to be we need to wipe the Jews and the Christians off the face of the earth. Um, but how can you have a one-world government, but you still have the kings of the east invading and um, a powerful army to the north that sounds like Russia with Iran and Muslim nations invading Israel in the last days? What it is, is it's almost like Israel's going to become, um, it, it's kind of like when you play capture the flag, you get the flag, you win. And, um, and so to get to anchor control of the Middle East and the rest of the world through doing it, Israel's going to be the big catch. All eyes are going to be on them. Um, now, another thing I will say, please, I pray for Israel. I also have Palestinian Christian friends who they usually vote pro-Israel. And they're actually citizens of Israel. A lot of people don't know that. And they don't like terrorism. And they vote against the you know, Hamas. And they certainly voted against uh, the PLO. Um, but re remind yourself, the number one job of the church, we need to pray for Israel. We need to love the Jews. Our number one job is to make them jealous. So in other words, the more we love Jesus and prosper, the more jealous it makes the Jews. All the mileage we're getting off of their Messiah, and we're a bunch of, a bunch of pagan Gentiles, formerly pagan Gentiles. So just keep in mind, the nicest thing we can do for a Jewish person is to speak the truth in love with them about Jesus. Okay? Um, you know, God and Satan are playing chess right now. We know God's going to win. But basically, the United Nations and America and Europe, with Great Britain involved, they were doing the UN thing to move Israel towards getting their own nation again. Now, God can use evil for good. They're doing it because they wanted to solidify allies in the Middle East for the Anglo-American push towards global government, okay? Now, God's going to use it for his glory. The Jews are back in the land, but we just have to be very, very careful when we study for this, study these issues. We want to see the Jews come to Jesus. And we have one body of Christ that's neither Jew nor Gentile, Okay. Now, there are physical blessings to Israel that saved Israelites, saved Jews, will receive in the Millennial Kingdom. Um, but we need to understand that our number one job is to lead in Christ. The other thing I say is do not try to fulfill Bible prophecy. God doesn't need our help. Okay? So it's not our job, for instance, to get ourselves hated by the world and persecuted. Uh, the only thing I would see is try to preach the gospel to all nations and support foreign missions work, okay? But um, 
But more times than not, we're trying to fulfill. Look, look, God doesn't need our help. Just love the Lord with everything you got. Love your neighbors, yourself. Um, Israel, at one point, was about the only ally we have in, had in the Middle East. Now President Trump is, is willing to, is uh, working to get others involved. But whatever the case, um, just keep in mind, God will fulfill prophecies. He doesn't need our help. So basically, the end's going to come when the gospel's preached to all nations and um, when Christians are hated in all nations, and then Zechariah 14, when the Jews are hated in all nations. Then verse 15. Now, by the way, verses 4 to 14, I used to think this was the first half, because I was trained by pre-tribulationalists, and I thought this was the first half of the tribulation, and then the second half is the Great Tribulation. But from my studies of the scriptures, I realized the tribulation is only three and a half years long. There may be, and we'll talk about that, I don't think we'll get to it today, but there, there may be a seven-year peace treaty signed between the Antichrist and many nations and uh, with the Jews, uh, but then he breaks it halfway through. Nowhere does the Bible call the first three and a half years. Tribulation, okay? Um, the wrath of Satan comes to earth when he gets kicked out of heaven three and a half years before Jesus' uh, return. So I used to think that verses 4 through 14 were the tribulation and then the first half and then the last three and a half years starts at verse 15 through 31, the great tribulation, um, but now I've come to have a different understanding of the verses 4 to 14. And by the way, some pre-tribbers agree. Probably the most scholarly pre-tribber that I could think of of the 20th century, John Walvard. Um, he interpreted verses 4 through 14, even though he believed in a seven-year tribulation period, but he believed this is kind of like an overview of what's coming down during church history. So, in, in other words, um, false Christ, false messiahs, even in the time of Christ, even before Christ, that was going on. Okay? And then wars and rumors of wars. And so these things are just, just a, a common thing that's going on. Nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. But that's just the beginning um, of birth pains. Okay? But it, it basically, he's, he's talking about these are the things that are going to be occurring until Jesus returns, but it's when they increase in frequency and intensity, that's when you know you're getting closer, okay? Um, now, let me say this, the increase in national disasters, and, and, and by, the, by the way, when those who said that Hitler and Mussolini, the Antichrist and the false prophet, you know, I read a book by Dehan, a pre-tribber, in 19... He, uh, well, he stated there's no way they could have been the Antichrist and false prophet. The Jews have to be a nation first. And then I, I said, when did this guy write this book? And, then he, and it was the copyright was like 1946. And did, little did he know, two years later, the Jews would be back in the land. Same with uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was arguing, he was writing before the Jews were back in the land, saying they've got to be back in the land again 
before the end time prophecies can occur. I believe, if I remember correctly, reading Blaise Pascal's Ponce's, he believed that the Jews would be back in their land. In fact, he viewed that as one of the strongest evidences for God was the survival of the Jewish people, even though they had no, no place to live and everybody hated them. And he said, well, look at these guys. You got, they're still around. You know, and, um, but, um, but whatever the case, that regathering of Israel, hold this page in Matthew 24 and turn back to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Verses 11 to 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones, the dry bones that he saw in the valley, are the whole house of Israel. And they indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, Behold, uh, O my people, uh, actually, I think that's Adonai, Elohim. Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, I the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Then you go down further, 21 through 23. Then they said to, to them, uh, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them, over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations, you know, Israel to the north, Judea to the south, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. Two things are going on there. One is the Jews, Ezekiel is prophesying that the Jews in the last days will be gathered from all the nations of the earth they'll begin to go back and be gathered to the Holy Land, okay? That is going on, okay? And they've got ownership of the nation. They didn't have ownership of the nation when Jesus walked the earth. You've got to go back to 586 B.C. when the Babylonians conquered them, even 606, 20 years earlier, when they, when they uh, defeated Jerusalem, but they destroyed a temple 20 years after that. Uh, so you're, you're talking like 2,000 you know, a period of about 2,000 years, uh, no, about 2,500 years, where the Jews maintained their national identity but didn't really own the, the piece of land until 1948, okay? And, um, and so you have the regathering. Now when you look at the list, Christ's return, things to look for, Regathering of Israel in the promised land. You have an increase in natural disasters, earthquakes. Luke talks about tidal waves, famines, diseases, 
By the way, when you read the newspaper, it sounds like you're reading Matthew 24. Now, I will, I will say this, though. I will say this. I have read end-time prophecy book after end-time prophecy book about how earthquakes are increasing in intensity and frequency, and the same with famines, the same with diseases. Let me just say, the book is still out on that. Okay? I mean, with famines, one of every 11 people on the planet Earth is starving right now. Oh, no, no. It's actually more than that. It's 11 out of every 100. So it's about one of every nine people on the planet Earth is starving. Okay? Samaritan's Purse, we throw in another, you know, Compassion International, about getting food to, to some of the, you know, maybe give up one of those coffees at uh, Starbucks or one of the Big Mac and help out these people. But let me say this, that's probably a lower percentage than most times during history. Most times during history, poverty and starvation, that's, that's if that's the day after tomorrow, you're doing pretty good. We're supposed to be praying that the Lord would take care of our needs, you know, or give us our daily bread one day at a time. And um, so I will say that we have been able to keep big records, but you can shuffle the numbers. You could say, well, earthquakes of 8.0 or more. And then you can make it look like, wow, these higher magnitude ones are increasing. And then you get a couple years where you don't have any and you're right back to square one. Or you could say earthquakes of 6.5 or over and on the rector scale, plus significant damage to property or loss of lives. You could shuffle the numbers. When everything's said and done, you look at the statistics, and um, I'm not really sure you can really make that case. It's kind of like you just refer to these three sources, but you ignore these 25. And let me, let me tell you why I'm not really sure that the earthquakes are increasing at this point in intensity and, uh, and famines and diseases and stuff like that, because the um, environmental wackos want us to believe the whole world is blowing up. So when you go, you know, and if we don't get Americans out of their cars and stop eating meat, we're all going to die in 12 years. Green New Deal stuff. So you would think these guys would want to make it look like the whole planet is blowing up. But once they step outside of, uh, you know... Uh, their little field of, uh, of carbon-14 or whatever, once they step outside of that, they're not reporting these things. You go to the World Health Organization, Centers for Disease Control, you go to the United Nations, um, and their government agencies, and they're not reporting that these things are getting worse and worse. So I, I would think they would want it to be getting worse because of their agenda. Um, uh, but whatever the case, uh, I think what we're looking at, though, is, you know, well, look at what Paul said in Romans 8. In Romans 8, you look around verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God will be revealed when Jesus returns. For the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with what? With birth pains together until now. So Paul's saying these birth pains were going on back then. Now, I'm not saying when you hear of an earthquake or experience an earthquake, we've experienced a few little ones here. I'm not saying earthquake, don't think Jesus. Believe me, when it's earthquake, man, it's birth pains. Think Jesus. But keep in mind, we should have been, the church should have been thinking Jesus for 2,000 years. Okay? Now, if you're like me, you know, I catch a cold, I'm thinking Jesus. I'm thinking, Lord, take me now, you know, and I'm thinking I'm going through a job situation. But at the same time, though, he said, that's, this is the norm. Until the whole creation, the curse gets removed, when Jesus returns, we're going to be seeing these upheavals in the earth's crust, these birth pains, these famines, these natural disasters, okay? Um, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, the down payment guaranteeing the payment in full, even we ourselves grown within ourselves. We ought to be groaning like the earth is groaning. We ought to be longing for Jesus. It is hard for an American Christian to long for the second coming of Christ because we got it so good. Okay, now I do a lot of work and I, we got, you know, bills and stuff and so I've got to teach full time at the school and kind of overlap my kind of full time pastoring job and then do some teaching so I don't get a chance to sit around much but when I do man what did I have last night or, or in the afternoon a cup of coffee and a donut an Entenmann's donut and I sat there and I thought man I feel like a rich man this is how the rich is what Bill Gates is doing right now don't lie to me Bill you're having a donut and a cup of coffee this is how the rich guys live you know I mean, normally for me, I'm going to and fro. So we just go through McDonald's. You know, half the fries end up on the floor of my car when I'm trying to make it to a meeting. And, and um, so when I'm sitting down and it's just me, a cup of coffee and a donut, you know, I'm thinking, good. But the fact of the matter is, all we Americans, even on our worst day, we're, li we're living like the kings of other nations. And so it's hard for us to groan and long for Jesus to come back we feel like we're in heaven already. Well, don't set the bar so low. Let me, let me tell you something. I'm talking mainly to the guys here. An Entenmann's chocolate donut, okay, and a cup of coffee is not heaven. Okay? We're setting the bar too low. Okay? We got to long for, don't be content with American prosperity. Long for King Jesus to come back. So we, we ought to, to, to groan as well. And, um, but whatever the case in this passage, we see that the earth is going through birth pains right now. But we're going to see these natural disasters increase in frequency and intensity as we get closer to the return of Christ. That might not, that increase in intensity and frequency might not start till halfway through the tribulation for all we know. Okay? When you try to put things in the proper sequence, whatever that is, it's hard to figure out. I can't even tell you when the Russian invasion of Israel is going to be. I've, I've got some ideas. 
I know that the Jews are living in prosperity and peace at the time. So is that after the peace treaty? Or is there going to be a time of prosperity before the seven-year peace treaty? Uh, does it happen at the midpoint of, the, uh, of what is commonly called the tribulation? I don't know. Uh, but whatever the case, uh, the, these natural disasters will increase in intensity and frequency as we get closer to the second coming of Christ, but we might not see that increase until just a few years before the, the return. But every time there's an earthquake, every time there's a new disease, right now it's COVID-19. used to be the H1N1, there was AIDS, we've got tuberculosis is still making a comeback in America today. Um, you got people suffering from malaria in third world countries. Um, but there's going to be an increase in these things as we get closer to the return of Christ. Increase in famines, diseases, wars and rumors of war. But I tell you, when you get to Revelation 6, the seal judgments, and you get wars as one of the primary causes, and natural disasters included for the wiping out one of every three people on the planet Earth. No, one of every four people on the planet Earth. And then you get a further judgment after that and one-third of who's left is gone. You put that together. You, know, you start out with, a, let's say, 100 people and one-fourth of them means you're down to 75. And then later on, one-third get, get thrown away. Now you're down to 50. You started with 100. One of every two people is going to die during the last three and a half years before the second coming of Christ. And that's not even counting. One of every two people going to die. That's not even counting persecution of Christians and death by natural causes. Okay? And um, so um, that's why I like like the fact that we got a government that will give us some advice, some health advice on the COVID-19 thing. I do not like the government telling me what to do. You know, to give me give me advice, and I'm a big boy. Let me make the decisions here. I don't want uh, nobody elected Fauci to be king, let alone president. Okay, and they they'll say, well, these scientists are saying this. Yeah, but there's just as many prestigious scientists from Stanford and um, one of the world's leading geneticists out of in the exact opposite advice. So. Um, uh, but whatever the case, uh, you know, things are going to get much, much worse. There's a, Jesus talks about the increase in lawlessness. Increase in lawlessness. I'm doing a lot of study on the mystery of lawlessness, what exactly that is. And I think the one who's restraining 2 Thessalonians 2, the Antichrist from being revealed, is the Holy Spirit. But I'm starting to think, take the more traditional view that the church had for most of its existence that God was restraining lawlessness through human government, which he instituted. Okay? But we're seeing more and more Islamic regimes and Marxist and socialist regimes where instead of protecting the law-abiding citizen and punishing the criminals, even in America, we're starting to punish the law-abiding citizens and protect the criminals. Um... And so the mystery of lawlessness is at work right now. Uh, but we see abortion. How can, how can killing unborn babies be legal? Uh, homosexuality, uh, other sexual immorality, violence, uh, drug abuse, 
just this increase in lawlessness um, that is on the rise. And that eventually is going to open the door for the Antichrist. Because lawlessness increases, man's love will grow cold. Um, when I saw that guy running and sticking his pistol in the car and shot in the face two police officers who miraculously survived, that's because of the increase of lawlessness and political leaders and athletes, world-famous athletes, are promoting this kind of stuff and politicians promoting this kind of stuff. And then we got these poor people who think, oh, okay, I got a green light to do this now. No, dude, they find you. Your life is toast. Okay? And um, saw uh, one guy walking down the street, and because of the color of his skin, uh, another guy came up behind him with his buddy filming it and bounced a brick off his head, and the guy did a face plant. On a sidewalk. When, when the government becomes lawless, man's love grows cold. Now, I'm a believer now, so I hope this is not the case. But if before I was a believer, if they made murder legal at the age of 17, 18, I probably would have started making a list. Okay? And um, Paul says God instituted human government to, to bring his wrath down on the evildoer um, and that we should submit to the governing authorities if not for conscience sake, out of fear at least. Okay? But we're seeing this increase in lawlessness and man's love growing cold. Um, more things that we're going to be seeing, you know, the... Uh, that we'll be talking about in, in future sermons, like mass inflation and from Revelation 6, last day mockers, but false Christ and false prophets. You know, pick up Walter Martin, the late Walt, Dr. Walter Martin's The Kingdom of the Cults. You get a book this thick, and it'd probably be twice as big if he were alive today with all the new cults. And these are groups claiming to be the true followers of God. The true Bible believers. Some of them even claim to be the true Christians. That's the kingdom of the cults. That's not even to mention the world religions. The false religions of the world. Okay? Um, and then the world of the occult. And so there's going to be many false Christs and false prophets. Uh, an increase in technology. Daniel 12.4. Knowledge will increase. I mean, it's amazing. We're talking about the possibility of cloning humans we're not just talking about animal-human hybrids. We've got tens of thousands of animal-human hybrids on planet Earth today. Now, they usually get frozen in the embryonic or the, or the, the fetal stage because these scientists don't want to bring them to birth because if it's human enough, it's got one heck of a lawsuit. Okay? Now, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some government. Could even be the U.S. government. Could be the Chinese Communist government that has some top secret thing where we could have something, some perversion of God's creation in a cage right now. Okay? The technology is there. And um, um, we've got frozen human embryos. Um, when couples have a hard time having a baby, and they do, it usually produces way more fertilized eggs than they wanted so they freeze them and then sometimes they've had court disputes about who gets them because 
the, to save storage, one of the parents wants them destroyed, and the other one says, no, I'm, I'm pro-life. Those are living human beings. And an interesting case, Dr. Jerome Lejeune, the, one of the world's foremost genetic experts, testified that they're living human beings. All these frozen embryos, hundreds of thousands of them. And, um, and the, the, the lawyer said, oh, so you're telling me they have all the rights other human beings have? He says, no, 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 I'm a scientist. I'm telling them that they, they're human beings. Now, let the lawyers and the judges and the politicians decide whether or not some human beings have rights and other human beings don't have rights. Okay? And, um, um, again, man's love growing cold. But uh, we've got this increased technology. You know, when man starts increasing technology, when we start uniting, like we did at the Tower of Babel, God says now nothing will be impossible for them to do. And then he intervenes. Well, guess what? The next intervention? Second coming of Jesus Christ to the planet Earth. Increased in speed of travel. Um, an increase in man's destructive power. I mean, you can't have all these deaths due to war unless man, we increase man's destructive power. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll be looking at the, this uh, more and more of this list um, as we go on. I just want to cl close with this, too. I, I do not think the book of Revelation is, was written chronologically. I mean, just look at this, the second coming of Christ in the book of Revelation. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. That's Revelation 1.7. But then the signs that Jesus said that could occur right before the second coming of Christ, that's the sixth seal, Revelation 6.12-17. Yet Jesus' second coming is mentioned at the seventh trumpet, Revelation 11.15. Jesus returning, one like a son of man with God's wrath. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 to 20. And then he comes amidst the clouds, riding a white stallion with all his angels in power and glory. Revelation 19, 11 to 21. Well, it's not one, two, three, four, five second comings. It's just letting us know the book of Revelation talks about end time events and the second coming of Christ end time events and second coming of Christ, end time events, second coming of Christ. When we try to make them all chronological, I think we end up with a lot of problems. Like, how can the fourth trumpet of Revelation 8.12 follow the sixth seal, if it's all chronological, when in the sixth seal, the sun, moon, and stars, and the heavens shaken, they lose all their light. Well, they only lose one-third of their light in the fourth trumpet in Revelation 8.12. And so what you have is the same three-and-a-half-year period, the 1,260 days mentioned over and over again. So it takes you from a, a point in there to Christ's second coming. And then it goes back to a point in there to Christ's second coming. And, um, and so don't, don't get the idea that we've got it all figured out here. Okay, get back to uh, Matthew 24. So Jesus talks about these birth pains and all. And the gospel will be preached to all nations. Then he says, verse, picking it up at verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. That's the Antichrist going into the temple, proclaiming himself to be God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, an image of the beast placed in the temple that has the power to speak and to breathe. Okay? 
um, and people have to worship the Antichrist and his image. Daniel spoke about this in his own words as well. When that happens, Jesus said, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Because you've got to move fast. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. Because it's kind of hard to travel fast in the winter and without a coat on. Or on the Sabbath. There he's taking a dig on the legalistically minded Pharisees. Because they think you can only travel X amount of feet on the Sabbath day. And maybe you could tear off part of your cloak, put it down, get a rock, and get an extension. Well, keep trying to do that when people are hunting you down. And um, verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. For unless those days were shortened, I believe they're going to be shortened by the second coming of Christ to the planet Earth, no flesh would be saved. So all mankind would be wiped out. Uh, if Jesus did, doesn't return at the moment that he does. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Therefore, if anyone says, uh, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. He's saying, don't, and, and the, the, the disciples were Jews, but they were also Christians. So he's telling you guys, look, this is stuff that's going to come down. I'm not just telling you what's going to happen to other people. This could come down in your lifetime. So be ready. Okay? I don't want you to be deceived. Um, see, I have told you beforehand. Verse 26. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It will be obvious. And then he says, forever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Kind of an illusion of like a, a rotting body and the vultures gathering around it. He uses that, that same, the same discussion in, in Luke's gospel. They said, well, where? Uh, when, when there's going to be two working, one's taken, the other's left, where are they going to be taken? Uh, Jesus says, where the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered. So basically, this is speaking of judgment. Gathered for judgment. And then verses 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Look that up throughout the scriptures. That is very key to identifying uh, the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. Uh, Verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why? They opposed them, they accepted the mark of the beast, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Even Lucifer cannot counterfeit this. Verse 31, he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now we'll pick it up there next week. We'll talk more uh, about uh, things to look for with Christ's return. Um, I just want to close with this. As creation is, it's a cursed creation. As creation is groaning and awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God, awaiting the return of Christ, uh, are you groaning? 
Because Paul says we should be. If we have the Spirit of God within us, we should be groaning. No matter how happy, no matter how good that donut is or that cup of coffee, no matter how nice that ride in the boat is, no matter how great life seems, are you still groaning and saying, you know what? Something's missing. I want to see Jesus face to face. So when we see these things coming about, you know, Luke tells us, when you see these signs in the sky, look, look up for your redemption draws near. Even the book of Revelation, we think of Revelation, what does Revelation mean? Oh, it means the end times. No, it doesn't. It means the unveiling of Jesus Christ. When I first read, as a non-believer, the book of Revelation while in Marine Corps boot camp, I just wanted to know what was coming down in the last days. I wasn't looking at it to learn. Gee, I would love to meet and personally know Jesus, to know Jesus in a person. I wasn't thinking of it that way. But that was the end result. Six months later, and I was trusting in Jesus for salvation. And... Uh, and how did God get me there? He got me there by studying end-time prophecies. So, yeah, some of us get a little bit. That's all we study. You know, it's like, you know, I'm sure there's some professing Christian out there somewhere who gets drunk and curses, take God's name in vain, and then opens up the book of Revelation. And You know, so some people like the whole, it's only the end-time prophecy. No, no, it's, it's Jesus. Okay. But the end time prophecies can point us to Jesus. Apologetics can point us to Jesus. Studying the Bible can point us to Jesus. Christians can point us to Jesus. But when everything's said and done, we've got to say what the early church said. We've got to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. We've got to groan for Jesus. Okay? And uh, we're going to be taken out of our comfort zone. It's going to be hard to find a donut and a good cup of coffee one of these days. Okay? We're going to be taken out of our comfort zone. And maybe then, the spoiled, rotten American church, when we separate the pretenders from the real ones who worship Jesus, maybe then, deep down inside, we'll start groaning for Jesus and longing for him. Let's close with it.